For your Emmy consideration, HBO presents House of the Dragon, nominated for eight Emmys, including Outstanding Drama Series. Don't miss the series critics call a roaring success. House of the Dragon is now streaming on Max. Welcome to IndieWire's Filmmaker Toolkit Podcast. I'm Jim Hemphill, features writer for craft and special projects at IndieWire. My guest today is Cody Heller, who is an Emmy-nominated executive producer and showrunner for her work on Freebie's Jury Duty. If you're not familiar with it, Jury Duty is a hilarious series following a trial in which everyone is an actor, aside from one unsuspecting juror, Ronald, who thinks he's participating in a documentary on the judicial process. Within about 15 minutes of starting the series, I began wondering how on earth the filmmakers pulled it off and how much trial and error there was in crafting the finely tuned comedy that made its air. So I'm very excited to have Cody here to talk about it. I guess the first question is just, where do you even begin with a show like this? Like, how did you come on board and what were your initial concerns? Because to me, this seems like something that very easily could have gone very wrong in a lot of ways. Absolutely. Um, So when I was first approached to showrun this show, it was, um, so there's Lee and Gene and Dave Bernad and Todd Schulman. And basically, from my understanding, Lee and Gene had written a script that was like, a jury duty storyline, but kind of like The Office, but the, without the element of a real person. And then they connected with um, Dave Bernad and Todd Schulman, and all of them together kind of came up with this idea of like, let's take a real person, let's do this hybrid idea of a real person, put him in the situation, and see if we can pull this off. And they came to me to showrun it, and I thought the idea was brilliant, but I was absolutely terrified. Like, can this be pulled off? I have no idea. My past experience in no way, I mean, I'm just a regular scripted comedy writer. I don't have experience in that world. So I was absolutely terrified. And it was like, you know, during COVID, I had been isolated. I was kind of losing my mind. And I was like, you know what? The, the fact that there's a chance that you could like totally fail at this, there was something like really exciting and terrifying at the same time about that. And I just said, okay, I'm gonna, yes, let's do this. Let's, let's try to do this. And, um, one of the first people that I met was Nicholas Hatton, who, um, is one of the EPs and he has worked on a lot of the Borat movies. And so he has tons of experience pulling this sort of thing off. Again, this is, never before done. This is different than Borat because with those movies, obviously it's, you know, getting people on the hook for a couple hours at a time. And this is a very different thing. Three and a half weeks of basically everyone is putting on a play essentially for three and a half weeks and living in this reality. And can we do it? Um, So one of the first things I prioritized was, okay, um, I want to make sure that the writers that are going to be writing on this show, that as many of them as possible can also potentially be performers. Because I just thought the only way that there's any chance in hell that we can actually pull this thing off is if as many of us as possible are there from the beginning and are like, you know, it's a totally the most collaborative you can get in terms of making something. Um, So luckily we found some incredible, incredibly talented writers who are also performers. All but two of the writers in the room wound up being performers on the show. 
And then the other thing was, I don't know anything about the judicial system beyond watching Law and Order. So I was like, okay, I need people with legal experience because obviously we can't script three and a half weeks worth of legal jargon for these people. They they have to be familiar enough to be able to improvise properly. So we uh, found some incredible people. Um, Sean uh, the, Sean Sanders, the character uh, Evan Williams is the is the writer slash performer who plays him. He was a writer in the room, and then auditioned and was just so incredible. And he is so funny in the show. Um, again, he was there from the start, so he was so important throughout the process because as we were writing these episodes, we were figuring out, okay, what are you know what are the court things that need to happen? That's part of it, a huge part of it. Um, and then Trisha LaFosh, who plays the plaintiff attorney, she also had legal experience. And then Alan Barinholtz, that was incredible. A friend of mine, um, Allison Bills, who teaches improv, I went to her and I said, hey, I know this is crazy, but do you know anybody who could look like he or she could play a judge um, that happens to be an improv actor, but also have legal experience. And she was like, actually, I do. And it was Ike Barinholtz's father who, you know, I guess in he's from Chicago. He got his start doing improv and kind of wanted to go into that world, but then became a lawyer and spent his entire career as a lawyer. And this was his first time acting. And he, I mean, he held the whole show together. He was such every... I say that, but it's also everyone, every single person from the beginning of the the start of production, pre-production, through the end, through the editing, every single person had their part to play. And I truly believe, like, had we not, if there was one single person that was not present there, the whole thing would have fallen apart. It was the most collaborative thing. And it was so fun and rewarding to all just say, look, Nothing like this has ever been done. We honestly don't know if we can pull it off. This is risky. And props to Freebie for taking a chance on something that truly could have failed. There was a chance that a couple days in, Ronald could have figured out what was going on. He's a very smart guy. We did not – we always knew we never wanted to punch down. We were not looking for some dumb guy that we were going to make fun of. We always knew that this was meant to be a hero's journey. And everyone had to put our faith in – the project and in the idea and in each other and show up and every day just be like, we're doing this really insane thing. It was so much fun, but it was terrifying. I mean, every day it was just, you know, every night I would have the craziest stress dreams. And I also like my OCD magical thinking was out of control. Like I had this thing where I would, if before Ronald would arrive to court every day, I would have to do a plank. And if I if I didn't do my plank, it was bad luck and it meant that Ronald was going to find out. <laughs> and so I would I was just getting into these crazy OCD things, very unhealthy, but uh, it worked maybe. <laughs> well, you touched on something that I really loved about the show and was maybe the thing that surprised me the most, which is the fact that you're not ever making fun of Ronald. Like a lot of quote unquote prank shows, the idea, you know, I mean, Again, Borat, and I love Borat, yes. one of my favorite movies of all time, but it's like the idea there is to make an idiot out of everybody yes. that he comes into contact with. And here, I love the fact that Ronald is a hero, and you, he kind of becomes the hero of the whole case and everything. And I'm curious what the casting process was like in terms of how you got to him. Like, how much of it was there were certain things that you were all looking for? How much of it was kind of just luck stumbling onto this guy? I mean, how many candidates did you have that you were considering for this part? 
So honestly, ev- all all of that goes to Alexis San Pietro. She was the producer on the on the show that was the one who cast Ronald. She interviewed, I believe, over twenty five hundred candidates and thoroughly, like multiple interviews to find Ronald. Um, and we always knew. We just knew we wanted someone who was we were going to set on a hero's journey. We wanted to give him decisions to make, but we also were very deliberate in kind of setting him up for like no wrong answers. Like we never wanted to set him up to fail. We wanted to set him up to succeed. Um, So Alexis found him and she and Jordan Cohen, who she works with as well as another producer on the show, um, they just hit the jackpot with Ronald. I mean, truly he was, not only did he meet our expectations at every turn, but he wildly exceeded them. I mean, most of my favorite moments from the show are things that were completely unscripted. For example, um, him showing Todd a bug's life, (laughs) him taking Todd on the makeover. Those were not at all scripted things. Those were just Ronald being Ronald. And I thought, especially coming out of COVID, when we were all isolated and the world being the way it is, and just there's so much darkness and so much scariness in the world. I wanted to make something that showed that there is goodness in people and that when people come together, especially in real life, there is a power to coming together and having a common goal and working towards something and that it is possible for people that come from all different walks of life that would normally never encounter each other to form a little family. And that really is what happened. And jury duty is a great equalizer in the sense that James Marsden, a celebrity, and a nobody who is doing whatever job that they do. Everyone get, gets called in for jury duty. And um, I just loved that, that it was set in that setting. I thought that was a really great, interesting, you know, Lee and Jean and Todd and, and Dave. I just, when they came to me with the idea, I was like, that that's brilliant. Um, but Ronald Gladden, I will say, restored my faith in humanity. Like, he really did. And it was, and I think that goes for everyone involved Um, on the project when, you know, in the final episode, when the character of Barbara says, um, look, the truth is we all fell in love with you. That was 100% genuine. Um, We were so worried leading up to the reveal because although we took such effort to make sure that he had a fun time and also his mental health was always a huge issue. Like we made sure he was checking in with a psychologist every week. He thought that everyone participating participating in the documentary was also going through this. But this was to make sure that this was not going to traumatize him. We never wanted to traumatize him or even ha- give him a bad time. We wanted him to have an enjoyable experience. Um, but really leading up to that reveal, we were all terrified because no matter what, finding out the past three and a half weeks of your life has been a fake false reality. That is that is crazy. Yeah. Um, and we didn't want him to be hurt or to feel upset. We wanted him to. I kind of in in my head, I was thinking about it like a surprise party wherein, you know, when you throw a surprise party for a loved one, yes, there is a level of deceit involved where for a couple of weeks you kind of are lying about something or hiding something from them. But it is for the the bigger thing of celebrating them in the end. And that to me was the spirit in which I wanted this to to feel for Ronald. And I I think it did. I mean, honestly, everyone, the cast and the crew and Ronald, they all still keep in touch in real life. It is that to me is the most beautiful part is that like it 
goes beyond what's on screen into real life. And that is so special and rare and heartwarming and beautiful. And then to now be in this, you know, strike situation, it's like, I just, Ronald really restored my faith in humanity. And I hope that the AMPTP can uh, not destroy it again. I hope that they can be like Ronald Gladden. <laughs> well, he is sort of like a Frank Capra hero. I mean, I feel like this show is the closest any contemporary movie or TV show has come to like a Jimmy Stewart, Frank Capra movie from the 30s or 40s or something. I mean, he's really, it is very heartwarming. Yeah. We, we always said like, can we get to the deliberations? Can we get to like a 12 Angry Men moment where he is fighting for what's right? And he he did. I mean, as soon as he became the four person, even though he didn't want to be, he took the job very seriously. And he is, like I said, such a smart guy. So we were scrambling to keep, you know, uh, he was ahead of us. So we were scrambling to stay with him and catch up to him and be like, oh, oh no, he, he just asked about the blood alcohol levels. We weren't prepared to show those till next week. Like props department got to make those right now. And it was, it was, I mean, he really challenged us in the best of ways. And he's just, uh, he's a mensch. Well, that idea of scrambling to keep up with him raises another question, which is just on a day-to-day basis, um, how are you communicating with the other actors while this stuff is shooting? I mean, do they have, you know, earwigs? Are they, is there a way that they can run back and communicate with you? Because I would assume that there's con- there are constantly things happening that even if you're going in with scripts or outlines or whatever you have, I mean, I'm assuming that Ronald is constantly doing things that could throw those into total chaos. Absolutely. I mean, it was the the entire thing was constantly evolving and fluid and yes, some actors on different days different actors would have earwigs. Alan the judge always had an earwig. So he was, you know, really guiding the ship when we were in the courtroom. Um and then depending on the day, different actors would have earwigs, but like, you know, we didn't want Ronald to see them. So, for example, in the uh, field trip Margaritaville episode, um, Ish, the the actor who plays Lonnie, it's like a sweltering hot day, but he's wearing a hoodie because he has an <laughs> earwig in there because we needed him to make sure that he gets Ronald upstairs to see the, uh, you know, smell the chemicals up there so that he could have that knowledge going into deliberations. So it was, I mean, you know, we had various, there were, Many different things, but basically every morning we would have check-ins with the actors. So the actors that were not staying at the hotel with him, we could do physical check-ins in the morning with them. And we had Jake, our amazing director, and Nick Hatton and Andrew Weinberg. Um, We would all do these check-ins every morning and kind of go over the beat sheets that we would create the night before based on what we had accomplished and what we still needed to do, what were priorities and whatnot. Um, The actors that were staying in the hotel with Ronald, that was a whole other thing where we would have to kind of make sure we would get Ronald distracted so that we could get them on a FaceTime call. But, you know, like, for example, the character of Todd, um, played by David Brown so brilliantly, they were literally sharing a, a door between their hotel rooms. So he would be like whispering on these FaceTime calls with us going over the day's beats. And um I mean, the whole thing was just so highly orchestrated every day, making sure that 
that the vans would cut. We wanted to make sure that he really thought the other people were staying at a hotel. So we would have their van circling the block. They would arrive to set, but then we'd have them get into the van. So it would look like they were coming from the other hotel and they would all figure out what they had for dinner the night before. They would all, you know, have to talk amongst themselves and land on what the reality was so that there wouldn't be anything that would, you know, get Ronald's hackles up. And it was such a challenge and everyone rose to it in such an incredible way. I mean, you see a, a little bit of, a bit of it in episode 108 when um, Sheeds, who plays Bailiff Nikki, accidentally says Cassandra and you know, she just – that wasn't – when she then went to that extra and said, you're Cassandra, that we we didn't say, hey, you made a mistake, fix this. That was just her – everyone cared so deeply about making this work that it was – I did feel like there was sort of like a magic happening around us. And it was something I, I – I, a once-in-a-lifetime experience that I just feel so privileged to have been a part of. Yeah. I mean, I, mean, I do feel like for something like this to work – as well as it did. I mean, it has to have all of the craft and everything that you're all bringing to it. But then there also just has to be this alchemy that everybody, again, it's just all the right people in the right place. And clearly you had that. And I'm curious, you know, you mentioning the hotel makes me think of another question, which is how much interaction then is Ronald having with people off camera? And does that end up affecting what you have to do? Absolutely. So for example, um, when they were at the hotel, we found out because Meki, who plays Noah, is one of the writers. I mean, we were all keeping in touch, even though they're supposed to also have their phones taken away because of the sequestration. So they're pretending, you know, they're hiding their phones all day from Ronald. But at the end of the day, we would be like, okay, tell us what happened on the car ride, what happened, tell us everything. And um, when the thing came up with Ronald wanting to take Todd for the makeover, it was over the weekend and we didn't have you know, cameras covering it. So luckily we had, as soon as we sequestered the hotel people, we gave everyone a camera. This was in order to, we were, you know, under, under the guise of like, we didn't expect this sequestration to happen. So Ronald, can you at the end of every day, like everyone else is doing, record a little thing of like what happened that day so that we can have these little interviews. So luckily, Mecky told us this is happening we're going to the mall. Basically, we had PAs who were dressed as bailiffs who were constantly at the hotel 24 hours a day there to do whatever Ronald and the others wanted because we didn't want – again, this was never intended to be like a miserable experience for him. We wanted him to have fun. So there were you know instances where they'd be like, Ronald wants to go have brunch. They're all We're all going out for brunch. That for that there, that makes me think of another thing. In that in that on that day, we were like, oh no, they're going to brunch. They're gonna get mimosas. What if they get carded and they don't, the actors don't have IDs with their character names? So props had to rush over. Like every single step of the way, we were constantly just and to everyone's credit, we all kept up and we all managed to just get there and do the thing even on the weekends. But like for the makeover, I was like, Mecky, bring your camera. You know that that. Ronald thinks everyone has and record a little bit of that because that's brilliant and we're going to want to have that in the show, but we don't have plans for cameras to be there today because it's the weekend. Something else I think the show does really brilliantly is you skate right up to this line where it's ridic- It's so ridiculous, but not ridiculous enough for Ronald 
to catch on or, you know, I mean, I'm sure you maybe was suspicious that something wrong was there, but I'm thinking about things like the chair pants and stuff like that. Like how did you navigate? No, I mean, I guess, was there a lot of sort of not, not trial and error, but were you pushing it as far as you could? And then sometimes realizing we better pull back because he's going to catch on. Absolutely. So chair pants is a perfect example. We originally had scripted that the chair pants would happen on the first day. And as you see on the show, you know, he tries to wear them into court and the judge is like, no. And he asked Ronald to help him out. And it's it's a no. Originally, he was going to show up the next day with a new and improved pair of chair pants and be like, the other ones were bad. These are better. So in that situation, we knew this is going to put Ronald's going to realize this is too ridiculous. Let's pull that back. So there there was a constant checking in. There was, you know, we had these scripts, but it was every single day. The beat sheets at the end of the day was really what we were working off of because there was no way to know what Ronald was going to, you know, at what point is it too much? And so we obviously wanted to make it as funny as possible, but always wanted to keep Ronald believing in the reality. And another thing that was very crucial to that point was um, on the days that crazy, crazy stuff would happen, we would then what I think Nick Hatton or maybe it was Todd, who I can't remember who, who coined the phrase, but depositing money into the reality bank. So basically, if like on the chair pants day when stuff was so out of control and crazy and silly, the next day there were just, you know, it was just a day of really boring court stuff where they're just sitting there and nothing interesting happens at all. Nothing funny happens just to get us back into, okay, this is really happening. This is really court. And this is, you know, funny stuff happens sometimes, but no, this is real. And so making those deposits into the reality bank was very crucial. And we were always making, being aware of that and never wanting to push the comedy so much that it made Ronald realize that something was up. Yeah. I think the, the moment when I knew this was going to be one of my favorite shows of all time comes in the first episode when Ronald is talking with James Marsden and Marsden is playing himself and Ronald's like commenting on his movies. Like, oh, that wasn't a good, I don't even remember which one it was, but he's like, that was not a good movie. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And, um, you know, the Marsden playing himself thing was just brilliant. And again, I feel like in a way, I'm so glad that he's being recognized for what he did there, because I think that is such a high wire thing where yes. it, you, you know, playing himself, playing a sort of, Making fun of himself, making fun of actors in general, but again, not going so far that it's ridiculous. I mean, it's just, it's such an incredible performance. And where did that idea come from that you were going to have a movie star playing themselves and how did you land on Marsden? So the celebrity element was always baked into it uh, pre my entrance into this project. And I, I always thought that was a brilliant idea because like I said, jury duty, it's the great equalizer. Really, truly celebrities do get called in for jury duty. Since this is taking place in LA, it makes sense that there would be a celebrity. So I always loved the idea. And we always, in the writer's room, we just knew it was going to be a celebrity. We didn't know who it was going to be. We just knew it needed to be someone who was going to be able to, number one, be able to make fun of themselves. Number two, be willing to sign up for something that like there's no guarantees that this thing is going to work. There's a chance this whole thing will just fail. And that's a risky thing to sign up for. And the other thing is uh, with like the reality bank stuff, there were hours and hours where Marsden was just sitting in court with nothing happening. And he just 
came into it, uh, I think he and um, Dave Bernard are friends. And I think that's how we wound up getting to him. And he was just so immediately like down to clown and be in this thing. And also what was so incredible about Marsden, and this applies to everyone involved, but like his care for Ronald. Like he was always, always wanting to make sure that Ronald was okay. Ronald was having a good time. And you see that a little bit in, you know, the finale where we show like when he freaks out about the uh, about the party and throws the cake and Ronald gets mad and is defending his fellow jurors and being like, Marsden, this was a dick move. And Marsden, we were like, we don't want, Ronald to like now hate Marsden though in real life in in the reality of what's going on we don't want this to be a miserable situation so that's when we have him come back with the it's a girl cake and that whole thing but yes it was always every day we were always having conversations about our north star which was like never wanting this to be anything but a hero's journey and a fun time for Ronald never wanting it to be punching down on him, making fun of him, or just being something that he was not, like, having fun doing. Yeah, no, I mean, the Marsden stuff, I just love, there's so many things that Marsden did that are hilarious. I mean, just down to, like, talking about, you know, how he makes his money off of Sonic the Hedgehog. Like, if you watch it a certain way, he's going to yeah. get X amount of dollars, you know. And, and uh, the other thing that just was so unexpected and another just moment of Ronald being Ronald was, like, when, you know, on the first day when he's talking about like, oh, I heard Sonic is like a shitty movie yeah. and Marsden's like hurt by it. And then the next day he's like, man, I got to apologize to you. Like I watched <laughs> I watched Sonic last night. It's great. I love yeah. it. And then there's that moment where he's like, you didn't tell me Ben Schwartz was in it. I love Ben Schwartz. And Marsden is like offended, you know, yeah. fake offended. But I mean, they they just had a really great dynamic, the two of them. And it was so fun to watch. It really was. Yeah. Well, and Ronald being obsessed with the movie Sex Drive is yes. like, that is like Marsden's I mean, great, which was perfect. I mean, who, how could we have ever yeah. anticipated that? It was such yeah. a random. That's why I say I do feel like there was a certain level of like magic happening because I was like, what are the chances that he has seen this movie and right. didn't recognize him the first day and then like was thinking about it later and was like, Oh, that's how I know him. Yeah. Just, I mean, so funny. <laughs> yeah. No, it was great. I mean, now, how complicated is the editorial process on this? Because you're talking Ooh. about, again, saying that you have all these long stretches where nothing's happening. And then just like, how much material do you have that you have to shape into these however many episodes you end up with? Truly, I give so much credit to all of our incredible editors because the show very much came together in the edit. I mean, I know that that's a thing that happens with all shows, but like, especially this show, it could have turned out a million different ways. And uh, again, we had so much footage. There were hours and hours of just boring things and finding those little moments, especially the finale, which was like, we always knew we wanted the finale to be a behind the scenes sort of like, this is kind of what the show was like to make. But because of the nature of what the show was, we couldn't have a dedicated behind the scenes crew because Ronald thought they're just like a couple camera guys and a producer and a sound guy and that's it. So we essentially went into editing that episode not really knowing what we were going to do. And um, we, we got so lucky. We had Mary DeChambre. Um, she is a documentary director. And we had her come in, especially for episode 108. And Andrew Weinberg, who's one of the writers and EPs, um, we it was kind of the three of us going through literally all of the footage. Like, for example... You know, at the hotel in the common area, 
there would be cameras rolling sometimes like over certain days when nothing was really scripted, but just it would be there. And that's we had to go watch frame by frame to find just like the little moments that could illustrate a bigger point that then could be spoken to in in the telling of how the show is made. But yes, I mean, so much of the show was truly figured out in the edit. Um, there, you know, the scripts compared to what wound up on screen are very, very different. The whole thing was just by the very nature of it constantly evolving. And um, the editors just they did such an incredible job of of shaping this show into something that is, in my opinion, like so fun and funny and cool, but also heartwarming. And, and you know, all of my favorite things are things that make you laugh and then surprise you with like a little bit of tears maybe at the end. And the biggest compliments I've ever gotten on this show have been people who say like, I laugh so much and then I, I teared up or mm -hmm. I cried a little bit at the end. And that is the most meaningful thing to me. Yeah, no, completely. I mean, it's like I mentioned Capra before and there is this sort of feeling it, it has almost the same or it elicits almost the same emotional response as like a great like James L. Brooks movie or something from, you know, like 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 Aww. broadcast news or something Aww. like that. Like it really Thank does you. have all of those emotions. And now what I'm wondering watching this, I mean, it, you know, we as we, we were talking before we got on mic here about how one of the cool things about this show to me is that it's a show that really found its audience be just because people loved it. Like no one was looking on freebie for what the original programming was there. Like this thing just kind of got out there. People started watching it, started telling their friends how good it was. And now it's this big success uh, that I'm sure you weren't expecting. And so, of course, that raises the question of a season two. And I'm wondering, is this something that is replicable now that it's out there? And are you talking about a season two? And do you have any idea what that could look like? Honestly, because of the the strike we're we're not having those conversations right now but i don't it is a great question because i do there is a part of me that's like it was kind of lightning in a bottle i don't know if you could replicate that um but i think we're all just basking in the fact that we made something that we all were like this is crazy and can we even pull this off and the fact that not only did people watch it and like it but then it got this you know recognition with these emmy nominations like we're all just so blown away by it. And I think we're all kind of in that moment right now. So we're not really having those discussions. And again, because of the strike. But yeah, it's a great question because I don't know exactly how you, you know, I mean, obviously it would have to be a totally different world. Um, but it is, it, like you said, a high wire act. It, it completely, there were no guarantees there that it was going to work at all. And every day I would be terrified of like, is this the day where it's all going to come crumbling down and it's all my fault because I'm the showrunner and everyone's going to hate me because I led us the wrong way. And it was it was terrifying, but also really exhilarating. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, since you brought up the strikes, I mean, and first of all, I should say, you know, for people listening to this, this is an interview. This was set up between us personally, was not through a studio or network or anything like that in solidarity with the yes. Writers Guild rules. Um, but it seems to me like you do have, you know, strong opinions about all this stuff. I mean, is there anything that you want to say about the strikes, about the, the Writers Guild strike or both? Yeah. I mean, honestly, I, I came up in a time where I, I mean, I worked on a, on a few shows, on a few cable shows as a staff writer, but then from then on, my experience as a writer has been only on streaming. And, um, I look at 
other people who came up in a different time and I see the disparity and like it is remarkable. It is, you know, and my mom is an actress and she was able to, she's not a famous person by any means, but she's like, she was able to afford to buy a house in the Valley and support her family and do these things that that's no longer attainable. And I think that that is awful. And I think that, um, that needs to be corrected. I think that the people that are doing all the work to make this content are not being appropriately compensated for their work. And I think that that is um, a mistake that needs to be corrected. And I, I really hope that we can come to a fair deal soon because, you know, and now that SAG is also striking, all of the jury duty family, we're all picketing together. We're all in conversations. We all are on the same page with this. And um, we all want to get back to doing what we love. We all want to get back to work. No one wants to be striking right now. Um, so I just hope that we can reach a fair deal. I mean, I am not as educated as I should be on this at all, but I saw some number of like it's what we're asking for is like 2% of what. And come on, guys, like can can you channel Ronald Gladden for a second and just like be a good dude? Like, can can you do that? It's a crazy time. And just having it be like the same day finding out we got four Emmy nominations and then finding out SAG was joining us in the strike. It's just been a whirlwind of emotions. And I think everyone is feeling that. And um, yeah, I just I really do hope that we reach a, a deal soon that makes that is fair and is right so we can all get back to work. Yeah, I do, too. Well, it's a really fantastic show, and I've loved hearing about how you put it together. So thanks so much for coming and talking with me, Cody. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much. Thank you.